Well, this is an interesting one. Uh, what is your heart as prophets in a church in regard to charging fees to help equip or teach the body in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll tell you what our structure is in our church, and there is a, there is a, there is a reason behind what we do. We have prophetic training ongoing that is anybody can go to, okay? We have that, like, I'm sorry, I'm shaking my mints here. This is my prop. <laughs> uh, and so, so we always have that going um, on a regular basis. We just actually are behind the scenes. We've got our next schedule coming out and everything. But there's certain things that I charge for, and that's because I know our community, like, region-wide, and I know the people that I don't want to come From my, for those of you who are here this morning, uh, my message on the prophetic being part of the culture, uh, I think for us, that means that we are constantly teaching on the prophetic, we're teaching on all of those different dynamics, and so it is offered and available uh, to anyone. Uh, there's obviously practicalities with, um, with the cost of things, um, you know, uh, I, I would love to be able to do everything um, for me, if I won millions of dollars, I would do exactly the same as what I do, which is a, a blessing for me. Like, I get paid to do to, to be a leader of a church community, and so I'm really happy about that. But, uh, but if without the million dollars, like, I need to um, put food on the table and, you know, clothe my children and myself even, you know, so there, there are practicalities to do with that, even for this conference, you know, we'd love to, oh, we just offer it for free, um, but it's it's easier just to, to charge a small fee, make it accessible, if people can't afford it, we don't put that on them, um, but there's, you know, there's a cost involved in um, bringing people 30 hours travel, you know, to get here, and uh, and I think it's something where you're not, uh, you're, you're, the cost is there to bless the one who's bringing the message, you know, a uh, uh, um, a laborer is, is, is worth, you know, uh, worth their wage. Like, it's, it's good to honor people in that way. Um, you don't own the message, though. Like, the message always remains, it belongs to Jesus. Um, and I think if you've got anything valuable to say, then it should be from God, and so then you, you don't have a copyright on it. Um, and if it's not from God, then, well, it's probably not worth listening to. Um, but yeah, I think you know, giving value um, and, and really owning that the cost uh, the cost of that. And again, when we come to this place of I'm going to take responsibility for my journey, I'm going to take a responsibility for for training in my gift. And so it should cost me something to to do that. So um, another way that I structured some of the things that I charge and that I don't charge for is I, I picked it up right out of the book of Leviticus where. <laughs> I know Leviticus, prophetic people in Leviticus, that doesn't match, right? Um, but nevertheless, the way they handled their, their orchards and they handled their farms is there's the, the part of it that they harvest for um, profit, and then there was the edges that they left for free for those who couldn't afford it. And so um, I structured my whole thing based on that concept that I have YouTube videos, I have Facebook Lives, I have all sorts of free stuff, but there is stuff that is... I, I am going to charge because I just saw the principle right there in the word. Uh, question for Amy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, 
how do you see the the shepherding gift and the prophetic gift partnering together, like the importance of those things? I know this is a big topic, uh, but maybe just some kind of points as to how, even even sometimes maybe the challenge of how they work together. Um, yeah, share some of your journey. Sister Jenny. Well, it started by learning, and I didn't get told this, I just... Rachel and I learned it together. <laughs> and so you've got a sh- the shepherd and the prophetic rubbing against each other. And um, we learned how vital that was. So we started off. So it's what I've been learning from Brad is it's really important that we don't um, idolize these five things. Prophet, shepherd, apostle, because then we're not like Jesus if we're focusing on being one because he's five. So the job of the shepherd is to help people become more pastoral and the church to be pastoral. So my my role is helping the prophet to be connected to their heart and to remember the people. And the role of the prophet is to remind me to have quiet times. <laughs> it's to remind me to go to the secret place for everything I do and to be prophetically pastoral. So the more that we lived together and I was completely shepherd, which is not completely Jesus, it's weird, and she was completely prophet, which isn't completely Jesus, she learnt to become um, pastorally prophetic and I learnt to become prophetically pastoral, which is more like Jesus. And having someone who's pastorally evangelistic and prophetically teacher and, you know, it's when you're mixing that's when you become like Jesus. So that's when Brad mentioned this morning, if you're a prophet, get alongside a shepherd. We learned under the same roof how different we were, and we learned that each other had missing pieces, and the balance was in, 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 and the healing of who I was, which was highly people-oriented and forgetting about, um, yeah, people's meanings, not being over-responsible, actually, was the weakness in my shepherding, which has been healed, but uh, my my I would forget the secret place because I I just um, I'm like why am I going to go to bed at ten thirty? There's another hour I could just listen to somebody. <laughs> There's a person, 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 and and Rachel's like why why, why do I need to see people? I've got another hour. I could more Jesus time. <laughs> And that's, that's the extremes, but then prophetic people who are just only prophet, they're like, I don't need people, I've got the throne room, and it, and it can be escapism, and it's not good. There's something off if you only need me and Jesus. It, you're probably born in just me and Jesus, and that's where he brought you to life, and that's where he ordained you, and that's where he called you, and that's where you get your, that's where you come alive, but then it means that the part you need to grow in is believing that you need people because if you don't feel you need people something's wrong because biblically we're to be interdependent that's the church and if you don't feel like you need to be in um, dependent this way only this way you're off and if you're pastoral and you or if you're a people person and you only feel and if you have needs and you're broken and for prophetic people um, they're feeling broken bringing need they'll go to the throne room long worship time read the word and it's this way but a, a very people person, they believe, oh, I need to call a friend, I need to see people, I need to have a hug, I need a coffee date, I need, I need someone to pray for me. And we forget this one, and we do it all, all this one. 
And so the two need to mix. The prophet needs to learn this, and the shepherd needs to learn this. And the body of Christ needs to be both. Otherwise, you're not interdependent. You're only one or the other or neither. Um, so we need to be Jesus. That's good. And I think as, you know, recognizing there's the, there's in that growth perspective, but then in the healing perspective, so there's a healing that comes because it, particularly, maybe more so with the prophetic gift, it, it's often the wounding can happen young, lack of understanding, you know, disconnection, just finding um, uh, safety and security in the gift. And so that isolation becomes a pattern. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, and then again, so it's the... The, the shepherd has that heart connection. And they're very aware of their needs, but then the father doesn't come through in the way that they, to meet their needs. But people do. So it's people, people, people. Um, whereas the prophet's like, well, God always, he never lets me down. And yet people keep rejecting me. So as part of that kind of reformation in the body is the healing uh, of that. And uh, I don't know, if, you know for, for me, what I, again, what I shared on the apostles and prophets building the foundation, um, it, I'm not sure that we've seen um, like true, full apostolic ministry. Um, well, we've maybe seen it, but it's not the norm, or true, full prophetic ministry because there's been a wounding uh, for generations there. Um, and so then the, the, the role of the shepherd in coming through and restoring those elements is incredibly important. That's a motorbike. <laughs> so, yeah. We have, a, we have a clubhouse a few doors down. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so what is the difference between a seer and a prophet? And if you have a prophetic gift, how do you develop the seer gift? Um, we, we touched on that, um, what's today, Saturday? We touched on that a few, few nights ago, but real, real simple. Uh, prophets were originally considered to be seers, and it's the way that they, they um, heard the voice of God. They didn't necessarily hear the word of God, but they saw his voice in the environment around around them or through visions and dreams, those kind of things. Um, and then it, we see a shift happen. I think it's First Samuel chapter 9. And then we begin to, to see where um, now we're getting prophets that hear the word of the Lord. And my teaching for that, what I was taught, was that they would literally hear verbatim the word of God. And they kind of work it out over time. So you know how those long prophetic words that you read in the Old Testament? That those are the working out of that prophetic word. Um, and, you know, it keeps going even further than that, but we'll just leave it with those two. So that would be the differences. So, and we still have that expression today in the New Testament. Um, those who are called as prophets in the New Testament, um, you know, you'll see those that are more seer-oriented, those that are more um, word-oriented, or even different, a lot of different expressions. A lot of, there's just a ton of expressions of, of prophets as well as prophetic unction. What was the last part of the question? How do you develop that? Okay, so you might want to pick up what we did on um, on Thursday just to get the core teaching. You know, that will give you some foundation. But then what I have found is most people do see they don't know that they do. Um, and so once we get your eye to capture it, I was talking with somebody. Is okay if I won't? Okay. And she, one of the things I shared the other night, I said sometimes you will see a person, they'll look like somebody you know. But then you get closer to them, and they don't look like that person at all. It's just that weird phenomenon. And, and I was explaining to everybody here that you just, you just saw the word of God. You just saw. And so the familiarity is that the person that they look familiar to is the attributes of that person is probably what this person is dealing with. 
And then you can have a quick chat with the Holy Spirit and begin to, to work that out into some sort of prophetic ministry. So she caught that, and she actually experienced that, and it was right on. Um, but so, so you have to get your eye trained to capture it. And so that's what we were working through this week, okay? Good one. Uh, does everyone have to be prophetic? Yes. Well, Jesus is the perfect prophet, and we get we say yes because we want to be like Jesus. So, if you don't want to be prophetic, it could be wounding and everything. There's lots of stuff that you can have a pastoral friend to talk you through. But th- my honest answer is there's some yielding issues. Because he wants you to know him, and he wants you to be like him, and it's a good place to be in. So there's something on your end, on a yielding, like I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to give in. I don't, having a wall anywhere is never for your good. There we go. There we go. Yeah. I, I think even in the language sometimes have to be, well, no, well yeah, God's not, a, God's not a have to kind of God, like he's a, it's, it's a gift. The prophetic is a gift. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're wired, we're made for that, we're made for intimacy, we're made for connection with the Father, um, but sometimes if it's, when it's connected in, kind of in the way, it's like you could, you could almost like be a teacher without the Holy Spirit, um, you know, you could teach from the Bible, and you know, we may have experienced that before, um, you know, without the Holy Spirit, there's things that, there's gift sets in the church, there's roles and functions that you could almost do without the Holy Spirit, like you can lead worship without the Holy Spirit, but it's very hard to prophesy without the Holy Spirit. Um, and so some of that, it might be a, like a deeper connection point is that what's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Like what is that and is there a, is there a wound or a fear or something related to allowing Holy Spirit complete freedom in your heart um, to, to, to shift you, move you, change you, lead you? Um, because then really the prophetic becomes a flow out of that. Do you have to be a prophet? Well, no. Do you have to be someone that stands up and prophesies all the time? Like you, you, might, you might never speak it out in a public scenario, but you're hearing and you're responding to the Father. Um, you know, I know people and they will just go on secret assignments. Like God will say, I need you to go to this place and pray or just release this word or, or, or go and do this thing. And it's all done in secret. It doesn't have, it's not a, the prophetic isn't a public ministry, it's just, but it's an everyday ministry of God because it's how God communicates. So, it's how God communicates. So, in not participating in, in the prophetic, growing in yourself, you are not in communication in an amazing way with the Lord. You're missing out on His language. It's like I'll talk to you in French, you talk to me in English. So you're putting, you know, He'll keep talking to you in any sort of. He's so gracious, so kind that any kind of pocket you leave open, He's gonna be reaching for you and loving you as his child, but you're, you're missing out on the whole language that he speaks. You're missing out on the whole language that he speaks. So it's worth it. Yeah. Well, this is one. Uh, I would like your perspective, Jim, but then also Amy's. Um, if you have a friend with a Jezebel spirit, <laughs> thought, uh, how do you suggest the best way to deal with it? <laughs> we can <laughs> okay. uh, no it's, it's real simple um, I probably have a, a different perspective on that only because we deal with it so much back home <laughs> and we have what it is um, 
is a lot of people, um, they, they don't understand how the Jezebel spirit works within a person. It is definitely a spiritual principality. I don't have time to give you the full teaching. I, I, I think I have um, an audio somewhere, teaching somewhere. I don't know. But um, uh, maybe on YouTube. I think I have something. Oh, it's out on, the, on there? Okay. So basically, um, they're not possessed in the traditional way. And so what happens is um, people get targeted by this entity, and then there's a series of events that happen in their lives to try and craft it into their mind. And so then what happens, it's not that they're possessed traditionally by a spirit. They actually become Jezebel in their mind. Okay, and it's usually like, um, you know, uh, family wounds, um, hatred of authority. You know, that's, that's um, anything where, where, you know, they've lost power, lost control, you know, all those, all those things. And so then by the time, you know, they've been worked over enough, they, they've got their pattern and they're programmed in their mind. So it's autopilot. And so every situation that they encounter, they automatically do the Jezebel thing because that's what they are in their mind. And so then it's very deeply ingrained. So to, to actually work somebody out of that, you have to, that's why um, in Revelations, Jesus gave her time to repent. You know, he, he gives Jezebel time to repent, which is amazing. Um, but she has to change her mind. And so the, the problem with that is many times it's so ingrained, it feels like a death to them. Like they literally go through a death experience in order to come out of it because it's so ingrained, especially manipulation. Uh, like to, to get that behavior, to actually trust Jesus, trust people is hell for certain ones because they've, they've only known how to hustle. So, um, so, you know, that's, so to try and work a friend through that, you, you actually don't say you have a Jezebel spirit, you just confront the behavior confront the behavior, and then there has to be consequences. So, I mean, it seems, you know, like, oh, well, I just want to call that spirit out. Well, you, I've never successfully cast a Jezebel spirit out of anybody, and that's because she has to repent, okay, or he has to repent. I don't think there's anything more I can add to the Jezebel part of the sentence, but I want to add something to another part of the sentence. And another part of the sentence is what do you do when a friend has a Jezebel spirit and so that's the answer to the Jezebel but I think there's a problem in the church if we can't talk honestly about anything that anyone's struggling with and if you I think way before getting to that stage it should be that in your church culture this we focus very much on this in paradox church is that it needs to be a culture where getting feedback from someone about something that's off should be the should be norm and sh we live open to that which can bring up fear for some people. Some people can come into our community and they see all the fruit of things they don't know are laid in the foundations of our culture. And they think, wow, this fruit is amazing. And they, and they come in and it's so safe and you guys are so connected and family and trust and everything. But when they realize what is involved to produce that kind of fruit, it is very threatening. And there's some exit seats sometimes and ooh, those people can be gone. Or they stay and it's quite... Um, uh, it's a very vulnerable thing to enter into because it's not all church cultures. So what we try and have as our norm here, even though we're on a journey to completing that, is to talk about this as a family and how do families behave. Well, if we all had to tell different examples of your home family, they're all different. And a lot of it, it's not Christ or godly. Or for some families, oh, we see each other at Christmas, and that's not what we want in here. <laughs> we don't see each other once a year. But it should be that in, your, in the culture, it's, it's normal for someone to give you feedback about something that's a bit off or if they feel like they're just... You can even, to even say to each other, I'm not sure what it is. I just feel a bit unsettled. It's 
it's probably once a week that I have this kind of conversation with somebody. Once a week. Because we're fighting for each other. We're not fighting each other. And it's part of this culture to expect and, to, and it's fine and it's not, how can someone say that to me? It's not doesn't have a place here. It's because I'm loved and fought for, I get to have people giving me feedback about the parts of me that I don't see. And so it should be that, because we've had those conversations here, even that one is something that, that comes up. But if you're not in a community where it's normal to give each other feedback, Matthew 18, it's very, very important that we stick to the way the Lord said when it comes to confrontation, you don't go and go, well, that, you know, so Brad Holt could to do something that hurts me. It's not okay for me to go, Brad Holt. That's not Matthew 18. It says you go to your brother. You go. You cannot talk to other people about it unless you're getting some prayer for confidence or to get the sting of the hurt out and have a cry. And then you still have to go and mend this. Mending this is foundational in a culture. And then we mend this. And this is trust building. If he doesn't listen, maybe Jezebel doesn't listen, then you take someone with you is the next one. And that's the next step when you take someone with you. If they still don't listen, get more members in the church. If we're not having a culture of open talking to each other about anything that's off, then there's, that's our protection mechanism. And it should be safe to give feedback. But yes, it's different when it, they're so blind with that. But it should be that you can sit down, hold hands and go, we need to talk, something's off. Well, that's the thing. You want to try and catch people when they start losing their sight before they become blind. It's hard to show someone something when they're blind, but if they're starting to lose their sight and you're connected and you start to see, I think you're losing sight. Can I help you to see right in this moment? And uh, again, even as I shared this morning on, on building a prophetic culture, um, that's another element then it's building a, with the fivefold building a apostolic culture, building a shepherding culture, a pastoral culture. And that's something where when we do confrontation, well, uh, confrontation without connection generally leads to conflict. Uh, so if you don't have a safe, connected um, community environment, if you don't have a place where people can come in and they're not judged upon their performance, when they're not expected to reach a certain level in order to be accepted, it's like, so for us, it's like, no, you come in, we expect nothing from you. We don't want anything from you. Um, if, you're, if you're coming from another church, there's a, there's a chance that there might be some wounding or errors that need healing or whatever it might be, but it's just coming to creating that safe environment. And that's, again, what the pastoral does. It creates a safe environment, but it's not then just, oh, everyone's just nice and loving. It's like, and now the reason why we create that safe environment, as Amy was saying, is because we do confrontation. Uh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> we had a, we had a, a leadership meeting the other day, um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and, but it was like, I think, three and a half hour conversation about this sort of stuff, you know, about how do, uh, oh, well, how do we do that, and how do we, you know, confront well, and, and, and all of that sort of stuff, but it's like, it's, it's those kinds of questions that keep the place safe, because you can come in, and it's safe, and it's like, yeah, it is safe, because you weren't here, but now that you're here, we need to help you to come into that same culture and understanding so that we can, it can maintain safety. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, one thing I love about Amy is that, and that's part of the shepherd role, shepherds protect, that shepherds love the sheep, they care for the sheep, but they also protect the sheep. So they're really gentle with the sheep, but they're really ferocious with the wolves, okay? And wolves will try and come into the flock to divide, to separate, yep, yeah, yeah, spiritually, 
Um, you know, so not even aware of what they're carrying, but people will come in and their goal will be that the spirit that is on them will be to divide and separate. And I mean, when you look at it, how many churches split and divide and all of the infighting, all that sort of stuff, it, it's, it's a result of a lack of confrontation uh, in the community. So there's lots of elements that come into that. Uh, but again, for some, before they come into such a high level of agreement with a, with a spirit or a principality that there'd be someone pulling them up and saying, hey, I just noticed this when you said that or when you were behaving like that. I, you know, I'm just picking that up and you get to do that journey early on, which saves people from a lot of uh, pain later on. Awesome. Uh, how do you know what mantle, so what apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, you operate under and can you operate in more than one? All right. I've got answers for all of them, though, so it's like, uh, <laughs> opinions, that's it. Do you have an opinion? I'll have five. Um, yeah. So, uh, as I shared this morning, there, there is that, that uh, function, the gift to the church, and I believe even local bodies of the, the fivefold ministry. But then, within each community, you'll have people that will operate maybe more highly, and they'll be attuned to one of the five more than others but again the goal is always from an equipping perspective that everyone is getting developed in the five because the end game of the development of the five is coming into oneness with Christ becoming like Jesus um, uh, but I would say uh, I mean there's there's good teaching out there I've been really impacted by a guy called Alan Hirsch uh, he was originally from Melbourne. He's like a missiologist now. He's, I think he's based in LA. He's written a, his latest book is called 5Q, which is in the same, uh, like, an, like an IQ, your intellectual quotient is, is the 5Q. So he talks about the, um, the, the missional DNA of the body of Christ, but it's contained in the fivefold ministry and the importance of it. It's a, a really incredible book. He's an incredible writer. He kind of, he talks paradigmatically and quite kind of deep and intellectually about lots of things. So it's that kind of book, but if you're into that sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he writes in, in a lot of his books and really gives outlines, biblical outlines of what the, the function and the roles of um, those gift sets are, but how, again, how they work to build that foundation. Because again, I think we've got a lot of people who might call themselves apostles because, well, I've, I've planted three churches. Um, and it's like, that. It's not the qualification of an apostle is how many churches you've planted. Uh, and he actually writes in one of his books because, so Paul was an apostle. He planted lots of churches. He fathered lots of churches, oversaw them. Uh, but so was Peter. And yet how many churches did Peter plant? None that we know of. He may have, but none that we know of. But what, see, Paul was an entrepreneur where Peter was an intrapreneur. So Paul expanded the church to, into new regions and new areas. So that's the kind of apostolic function he was operating in, where Peter worked within the existing Jewish church structure to bring the kingdom of God into that environment. When I read that, I was like, that's, that's me, because I don't want to plant another church. Like, one is enough for me. If God leads, like, so be it. But I'm like, I, I, I love this. I love these people way too much to want to go anywhere else. So unless we all go somewhere else, that's fine. Um, but, but for me, my heart has always been that, that reformation of the body of Christ. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the, but you see how that's, that's the apostolic at work. It could be people who are in, in any kind of region, any field, like they have, they want to bring reformation to a place. They want to see that shift 
that cultural shift because you're picking up that apostolic kind of dynamic. It's the, the movemental uh, dynamic of the body of Christ. Um, but so you can, if you even type in like Alan Hirsch, Fivefold Ministry types or something like that, in one of his books, he gives an outline of, and even within the church, he says, um, he talks about when the fivefold, when each of the fivefold is working well, here's what it looks like. When it's functioning poorly, here's what it looks like. Or when it's lacking, and you see some of the symptoms in the church, and you go, okay, well, yeah, no wonder, um, you know, different kind of churches aren't functioning in their fullness because they're missing parts of those uh, dynamics. Yeah. So, um, how do you know what mantle you operate under? You might not be operating under any of those as a mantle. Um, you know, you might not be called to to an office in that sense. Um, and you can absolutely, you, you should be operating in all five in some capacity. Um, so you should be thinking apostolically about what, how you live your life, everything that you do. I am, like, you are all missionaries. This is why we don't have a missions department in our church, because it's like, well, I don't know what the rest of you are doing. If those people who are going to Africa, they're the missionaries, then what are you? Because you're all called to live on mission for Jesus. Heaven is your home. Earth is the place you're on mission. Um, is that is everyone, or is that like, oh, I never thought about that. But you understand how language, how, how much language shapes things for us. And we go, oh, yes, no, well, that's good for them. They're the missionaries, and, uh, and I'm, I'm something other than that. I'm like, no, you absolutely are. You are a missionary. You are on mission for Jesus, and that's the apostolic dynamic. So the word mission comes from the apostolos, which is where we get the word apostle. It's all contained in there, but... Any other thoughts? All right. Um, from a from developing this church leadership perspective, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we were few. There was, you know, Lisa, Brad, Amy, and I. Um, and if you think fivefold, you know, um, but Amy is a qualified but also gifted teacher, even though she's shepherd, and Brad as well, very very strong teacher, and and highly evangelism was on. And when we started before that. Sp- the Holy Spirit kind of kicked in in his life. It was evangelism and teaching. That was just his bones. So even though it's not his highest uh, call, mantle, gifting, language, um, it's it's there and it's it sustains that fivefold function. So we're still having that culture happening as we're starting the church of the all five, but it's just that our higher ones would have been the apostolic, the shepherding and the prophetic. Yeah. So you can, I feel, you can be more than one. And even season, I mean, if you take particularly if you're planting a church, you are, you will be a generalist more than a specialist. Um, so you will, yeah, you won't just be all five, you'll be the cleaner and the gardener and the, you know, like it's the, it's the 50-fold ministry. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how do I cultivate a prophetic gift if the church I attend doesn't recognize, train, equip, or release you in the prophetic? Okay, so what's really interesting is I, I married somebody who wasn't quite flowing in the same way I was, <laughs> and, so, and we're married to each other, and so um, uh, this was originally, and I didn't have the luxury of escaping that church. <laughs> no, I couldn't just go and find one that fit my gifting, so, um, and there's going to be those situations, and I, I think there's more situations like that than the other. So the real question is, God, have you planted me here? And if you have, then 
um, then you know you you are the 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 stealth agent who's going to have to learn humility like nobody's business, and then bring forth um, you know something that's valid from from the Lord into that community. So on this side of it, you know, my husband and I, we've worked it all out, and we're both super strong personalities. We're both right at every, you know, we're right, both of us. And, you know, and so um, uh, so with that, so I wasn't going to give in, and he wasn't going to give in, so we just had to settle it that I am prophetic, and I'm one of the weirdest ones. And, you know, and eventually it proved itself out with all the books and the teachings and the travel and stuff, but, but um, I didn't have that proof for a long time, and so I had to trust Jesus and trust that the Lord would prove me, even with my own husband, who was just wired differently. You know, we have a good laugh at this now, but he was just very wired differently, and it wasn't wrong. It's just that's not how God talked to him. And so, um, and then I had to learn how to speak to linear people. You know, people who need A, B, C, one, two, three, and need to connect all the dots before they got it. I need to learn how to talk to people. That's why the teaching gift developed, because I wanted to give you a, a map and a road so that those who need a little extra will actually believe what I'm saying when I tell you something really strange. So anyway, um, at this stage of the game, um, we've just been so honored to train and equip people all around the city because we have so many traditional churches. We've trained prophets in the other churches, traditional churches. We've trained um, prophetic ministers in the traditional churches. Uh, people get baptized in the Holy Spirit in the traditional churches at our church, and they go to their church. And it's like this been this slow um, simmer of um, uh, the gifts of the Spirit arising in our city. It might take 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but that's the Lord's plan for our city, and that's okay. So. Hi. Um, so when our church, in our, at least our first year of our church, I'd say there are two things we did the most poorly. One was in the area of the prophetic, and one was in the area of the pastoral. We were the most... We called up, well, I said we were awkward lovers. We're just awkward lovers. Our worship, we were awkward lovers. Didn't know how to love him. It was just awkward. And, um, but it was the same in our, our community with each other. So this question actually, we didn't have it flowing prophetically, but we didn't have it flowing pastorally. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak into when, when the church doesn't meet your need prophetically or pastorally, the first thing is to not take it personally. It's not a rejection of you prophetically or, or your gift. Um, and it's not a, yeah, I think if possibly if it's very prophetically wired and you're not being received well, yeah, it's not personal, but it, it might be a trap for you to take it personally. It's probably a rejection wound. But if you're highly relational um, and, it, and a church doesn't feel like it's a family to you and you're not being helped and um, you can take it personally, too, because you have unmet need that you then are putting on the church. So a first response is to not then react and try and minister or get your needs met or try and show, but I am prophet, <laughs> or uh, just don't react. But um, if, it, if, one per if you're truly prophetic, then start asking the Lord for his sight of who the church is, and you'll find just a love come for the people in the church. Start asking him, if you're prophetic and the pastors aren't, ask, ask to see your pastors prophetically, and you will develop such a love for them, and you'll be able to start praying into them, receiving the Holy Spirit. Like, I never reacted to Brad that he wasn't 
operating prophetically when I was in the church and there wasn't that prophetic move happening. Rachel came a bit later than me. Um, I just started to love on him and serve him and do the toilets and do the whatever, just love and serve. So that by the time he received that baptism and was open to things of the prophetic, all I could do was weep for him. So to not react, but to just start serving and seeing them as the Lord sees and pray into it for them. It's not personal. It's not personal. But also, I had huge need relationally when I entered this church. Um, Rachel had only sort of just moved to this country, but I lived here alone. No blood relatives here. No, I hadn't grown up here. No history here. Single. There was so much um, lack. No, no friendship circle. No I'd only been here a year or two. So I went, well, then I'm going to start being to people what I even am lacking rather than going, it's not here and this church isn't providing me this. Then start being that for other people. And that is what my mission has been these last eight years is so that no one else has to go through what I went through when I was so familyless in the church and the church wasn't meeting my need. They weren't meeting my need. This place couldn't provide me what I needed. So then I started going, well, then I'm going to help people know what it is to look after. What does the Bible say? Look after the migrant, the widow, and the orphan, which is anyone who's come from somewhere else, like me. Widowed, single mom, single dad, divorced, look after them. And look after the orphan, someone who just hasn't been parented, someone who's lost, someone who, you know, just needs spiritual mom, dad. Look after those people and start to create yourself what is missing. But yeah, don't don't react. Just start serving and praying and loving. Mm. That's great. So good. Um, I mean, six months. Well, probably when you plant a church, six months seems like a really long time. Um, but that was kind of the length of time that you're in the community. I I wasn't operating prophetically. Didn't know the Holy Spirit in an intimate way. Uh, and I, as I shared, I think it was this morning. Um, when you know when I was lamenting one Wednesday night and I asked a question, what's wrong with this church and um, and uh, it was Amy who um, who said maybe you're the problem and uh, and so I was like yeah yes yeah um, so in that six months I started joining the church and our parents so Rod and Lily Talbot they're not in this session they were here this morning my mom's been on the desk every time that you've been signing in um, but they they've only just moved to Australia this last year they've always been missionaries in Africa but they came to visit and I talked about this church and what it was like and what it, what it wasn't yet. 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 There's yet over your question marks over your churches. Um, and, sh- and, I, and I remember she was just going to bed and she turned off the light and she lay in bed and I was just talking to her and she just, I remember she just looked at me and she said, don't forget what you know. Go to this church, be in this church, but don't forget what you know. And it is the reason why I said to you, the Holy Spirit, because she was like, don't lay down the things of the supernatural just because your church doesn't. She said, remember it. So I then picked it up and just was myself in the church, not reacting, not having to prove, and I was just being prophetic and so on. And that, yeah, just, you don't have to lay it down, but don't lord it over people. And the trust that then was built uh, with Lisa and I and Amy and Rachel that was built in that time. You know, Amy gave me a copy of Good Morning, Holy Spirit and a copy of When Heaven Evades Earth. I was like, oh, thank you so much. And, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. We had a wonky coffee table and, you know, no, not really. Um, <laughs> but there was, a, there was a real trust built. There wasn't, there wasn't a dishonor. There wasn't like there was something like a lack or anything like that. And so then in that moment, 
when that word comes, maybe you're the problem. I'm like, tell me more. Because um, I'm, I'm blind. I'm not seeing it. You're seeing something that I don't see. And that's something that we, we live in as a community. It's like, please help be my eyes. Because um, I don't think like you or I don't see like you. And, and that was the if. So then, and then it was in that night, I was like, then please pray for us. And, and then in that moment, what I remember from that night, Lisha and I sitting on a chair with our heads down, Amy and Rachel standing either side, and just literal puddle of tears like this big on the floor, and they just wept as they prayed and wept and wept and wept. And I didn't have a crazy encounter, but I went to bed that night, and I said to Lisa, I said, something significant happened tonight. Um, and then from that week, like literally within a week, my countenance changed. My non-Christian neighbor, my brother, people saw me, they're like, what has happened to you? Yeah, you like, yeah, dye your hair or do something. And, and it, it was a radical shift for me, and it just awakened me, and I was like, I felt like a little baby um, in the kingdom. But but it was the way that they carried themselves and, and built trust and did relationship and loved. Like it was what they poured out in that moment was a deep love for us. Um, and that was shown in the tears that they carried. And the number of times I've been prophesied over and, and I can just hear them weeping in the background, you know, because there's, there's, the, there's been that carrying and, and, you know, vice versa for you guys. But, um, but what was developed. So that's the thing where, and I mean, you could be... You could feel like a small fish in a big pond, but you still have that opportunity to honor and to build trust and to do those sorts of things. Just to not feel like you're, you're, they're your enemy because they're not getting things that you get or understanding things in the way that, that you understand them. Um, now, again, you might not be the one that God has called to bring about that shift. Um, you know, you might come, you, you know, you come to a conference and you come back and you go, all right, you, you're doing it all wrong. You need to do it more like this and... Yeah, we need more Persian rugs. It's the Persian rugs on the car. That's surely the anointing is in the rugs. We need more Persian rugs. Um, <laughs> but you come back and you can have that kind of intention, you know, to, to, to shift things. Um, but you don't want to step into that place of dishonor. And you might find that actually in the leadership that God has given to that community, to your community, is, is not for it. And so not to try and then start to, you know, do this underground thing. Well, I'll just get, you know, this kind of, thing happening here and go like yes don't collect disgruntled people as Amy's what Amy just said because you'll find them you'll find the other you know <laughs> upset prophetic people so many other words flash before my eyes <laughs> you you'll find them you'll find someone to disagree with you uh, yeah um to disagree with you that's yeah that makes sense yeah um but, and that's the thing. So then, and there might be that place. It's actually, and, and you might do a season of enduring. I know people that have endured for seasons. I, I've endured for seasons uh, in, in opposition and sometimes in dishonor and then repenting of that and sometimes just in quiet respect. And you come to the end and you're like, no, it's actually time to go. Um, I find if, you, if, you, if you're frustrated, just go plant a church. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. It's a quick, it's called suicide. <laughs> um, now, there was actually something, because I, as we all do, and, and I, I, had, I had frustrations in, in the current season I was in, but um, thankfully, I, I received a lot of teaching on church planting, and I knew, because it was said to me, over if you're going to plant a church, you've got to know that it's God, and you've got to do it for the right reasons, because one day you'll stand before the mirror, and you'll look at yourself, you know, and you'll be like, what am I doing? It's like, oh, no, no. I know God told me to do this, so I'll endure uh, the hardship. Um, but then you come to the end of that siege, you think, oh, well, now I'm, I'm leaving or I'm moving to a different church or a different place. Oh, what a waste. I didn't get to shift the culture. 
But you know what culture shifted? The culture of your own heart. Because <laughs> you learnt endurance, you learnt, you matured, you learnt humility, you learnt submission, you learnt all, you know, we think, well, they didn't learn anything. I know because it wasn't their season to learn anything, it was yours. Um, so again, you might be in a place and it's like, God's saying, God's telling you to stay. And yet everything in you wants to go. But if God's telling you to stay, know that there's gold to be mined in that season for you. So even if, even if they don't, you know, respond. And, you know, and my heart is, like, my heart is for the body of Christ. The, the reason we planted a church was to, uh, I tell this to people, is to grow a garden that would produce seeds that we could give away and be a blessing to others. So we're not here. We're not trying to build a big church. We're not trying to be a famous ministry or do any of those things. We just want to have some integrity that when we speak to people and say, you know what, there's a new way. There's a more life-giving way. There's a more freer way. Because I look at leaders who are burnt out and just trash, and I'm like, man, you should, you should do it my way. Because it's awesome. It's like it's life-giving, and it's free, and it's love. It's all these amazing things. So um, we have a real heart. You know, so again, please, if you're here and you like us and, you, and you're, you maybe like us more than where you are, please don't come here. Like, we don't, we, don't, we don't need you to come. Um, you're welcome. But don't, you know, don't kind of feel like, uh, yeah, like just to run around, you know, to the, to the next place that's got the things. Because, yeah, because maybe you're the problem. Because then you're just going to bring all of you to here. So it's like, we don't need. <laughs> i got enough problems of my own. <laughs> that's it. I've got 99 problems and I'm 98 of them. So, uh yeah. So another question, there might be more to mine out of this, but how do we introduce the prophetic to an evangelical church leadership? So which is probably the kind of dominant um, church leadership framework uh, in Australia. Any thoughts? There really isn't a formula. You, you have to hear the Lord. Every, every church is different. Every community is different. And so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to get on your face and you're going to pray. You're going to ask the Lord, um, you know, this is what needs to happen. Because, I mean, the prophetic, I believe prophetic needs to be in every church, period. Um, but how that happens without getting into rebellion and getting into uh, self-righteousness and attacking people, how do, how do you do that? So there is going to be a solution for you. And it's really interesting. I, I think I had shared I work secular, um, you know, corporate jobs before I came to work at the church. And I would, I would get prophetic words for people at my job site, you know, and just lots of them. And it was amazing to me that when you really hear God, how people will receive it. You know, and so trust that the Lord will give you a word. And it'll be, so, it'll be so touching that it'll begin to awaken people to the prophetic. But get on your face first and go from there. And then through relationship. So... A message without a connection doesn't matter what the message is like just start loving them right. relationship everything relationship just love and serve without an agenda and the message at the right time will be should be trusted yeah. and it's interesting because it's like if you are prophetic and you're hearing from God then he's going to tell you what to do and if he has a plan to shift that community then he'll he'll release the word you know it's like more than anything, if it's you're like, well, these people do really bad coffee, I need to tell them, you know, like we're, we're talking about the prophetic gift and God wanting to release it. If he wants to release it, then he'll release it. He might not want to right then in that season. 
Yeah. Uh, I got one here. It's, it's, it sounds like a lot of these questions are underneath who am I or what's my identity. Any tips on how to hear that? Yeah, so um, so the question would be, well, how do you discover your identity? How do you discover who you are, which then can obviously flow into, um, yeah, how the prophetic works and operates? Yeah, online question is done. No, no. It sounds like a lot of these questions are underneath, who am I? What's my identity? Are there any tips on how to hear that? I think, and I'm saying this very gently, if we are an adult and we're saying, who am I, what's my identity, it's because it's, a, it's, um, it's more that then possibly our identity needs healing because we should be learning very young, who am I and what's my identity. If we've got that as a question when we're older, it's because there's a missing piece. I don't think so... The, the way that the Lord, the ideal way is that um, fathers in particular, but parents should be building in, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. And they should be seeing your identity from birth and pouring into that and strengthening that and building around that and meeting the needs of that and telling you who you are. Pouring in, you're a, you're a thriver, you're a successful, you're amazing, you're a champion. And it should, that's the ideal, is that we should, by the time we've grown up, because of the elders in the church and, and, the, and, the, and the mothers and the fathers, you know, that's why we need mothers and fathers in the church, is to tell us who we are. So it should be that if we're an adult, we know who we are. And I think when there's holes and not knowing who we are and what is my identity, I think it's because there needs to be healing. It shouldn't be a question we still have as an adult. And if we still have that question, which I think 50% of people do, if not more, so there's no shame on that at all. It's not that there's a course to go on. It's that there's a hole to go back and fill. And um, so that's why, again, even if we're adults, we need mothers and fathers around us in the church too. Give us a hug, see us, and tell us who we are. Fathers in particular, men in the church, you've got such a beautiful responsibility of, of telling people who they are and seeing them and pouring in. You know, Martin, I, I'll get him on the phone for something. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing a problem to him and I, I can't even start. And he starts, Amy, you're this. He tells me who I am. It's really important to to be mothered and fathered in a church. And it's a, it's a really important. But yeah, it's an identity issue. So um, there's all sorts of reasons as to why we might not know who we are. Um, it can be that there... Um, it can be a generational thing. It can be something um, linked to Freemasonry. Uh, one of the ma a main fruit of Freemasonry is that you aren't able to step into your identity. So if you really just keep hitting a wall and you aren't able to step into uh, your identity, that's often a, a fruit of Freemasonry. But there can be all sorts of upbringing issues that mean that you don't know who you are. And the Lord, the Lord can go back over the timeline and build into that and heal that. And that's why we do what we do all the training we do in inner healing and and it is to fix those cracks but I think it's more that there's something cracked rather than there's something to acquire if we're still asking that question as an adult and the Lord's so after that he loves bringing orphans into sonship and really our identity should be I'm a daughter I'm a son and if we if we're like I don't know who I am it might be a sonship issue 
and so to come to come home even more internally is is probably the process he wants to do so good so good And this, when we're asking the question, you know, giftings, mantles, callings, all of that sort of stuff, if it is something of where um, we're not asking you who am I in terms of what gift is, like, what am I supposed to do? Um, so it's that outworking and then our identity gets tied into that. And that is a danger, I think, particularly with the prophetic, maybe more than others, is that, well, I'm a prophet, so I need to be outworking my gift. And then we come against it because, well, I'm not, I'm stuck in this church and they don't receive my prophetic words and they don't want to hear because, you know, and it becomes a rejection wound because that gift is then tied into your identity. It's like, actually, if you knew your identity, then you could let the gift be released when it's released. You can relax in that place. Yeah, you can just go, you can go low and you can just pray and you can be humble. It's like, no, I don't need anyone to hear my gift. I don't need anyone to see me for that because that's not who I am. Like, you're not, you, primarily you're not a prophet. And even if you're a prophet, your role is to equip people to be like Jesus. And that includes you. So you're, you're, you're a son. You're a daughter. Like, that, that is the, the core of your identity. On top of that, you add to it, oh, and I'm gifted in this area, and I have this calling. And when the Lord opens that door, we'll step into it. Um, but that's why we're real big on just, we, we don't push stuff forward. Like, we don't promote ourselves. We're like, I feel like we've, you know, God will use us to do good things, and he'll do it. When he's ready to do it, but we're quite content just being nobody. Um, so something we have, we feel is quite important in our community and um, can bring frustration to new people. We sometimes have new people come and they feel lost, and it's not a bad thing. So there's the reason for them to be lost. There's people connecting, but the lost is some people who come in have um, this thing where they're doers, so they're very much Martha. Um, and, they, and they come in and they're lost because we don't go, okay, we well make sure you're serving, here's volunteer list, here's put timetables on your fridge. There's just, we're like, if you just need to come and rest, just come and rest, just come and take, just come and take. But just know that it's children only in, in their parents' house that take, yeah? As soon as they start getting older, they have to help with dishes and do, you know. So once you start raising up in the church, it should, it should be natural that there's responsibility taken up and helping with things. But it's not an expectation. And you're welcome to just be in this church and just be. But we realize that the, with that being our culture, it brings up all sorts of issues because so many Christians don't know how to just be. We're a, this doing Christians are doers instead of beers, and so we love that it causes distress um, when new people come in. We're like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> they don't know what to do because their identity is mixed into what am I doing, and so we have people coming here, but I don't know what to do. Like, which ministry is it? Where do you? Where can I serve? It's like, well, why don't you come in and be familyed, be known be interdependent, and then we can talk about where you serve. And it's like, I don't even know how to do family. It's like, hey, let's go back to the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> and so just not, not providing a framework where doers are enabled is really rattles that, and it takes a while for people to come into dealing with the, per the performance orientation we call, where it's I'm accepted because of what I do. So and be that, I'm going to go on to that one. So a lot of people battle with performance orientation as Christians in particular. So what I do is important to God and it's my lovability. And so here they have to face that. It's like I do nothing and who I am is amazing. I do no serving and I'm loved. I 
don't even arrive early for prayer, uh, and I'm a child of God. It's amazing how many Christians need their identity and their service separated. Then we have the other extreme. Then we have the people who come in with knowing that they have really strong gift sets. The, the first one I talked about was highly administrative. Um, the people who build the family, really, catering, all of that's incredible. The doers, we need them because you have to do something to make a coffee, so it's doers. So those are the doers, and they battle sometimes, and then we give feedback, and then they continue to become free, um, and then they can enter back into their gift set free of their identity being mixed in. But then we have people who the gift set might be highly um, like a like a prophetic or spiritual worshipy, musical, um, and they come in and we have the same thing where there's like, nope, we don't put people straight on rosters here. There's no place in the worship team. There's only place for family people in the worship team, not gifted people in the worship team. So be family, be interdependent, be known is like the prerequisite for anything in our church, and they're the hardest things for Christians to do. Isn't that so weird? So often people who are highly spiritually gifted or prophetic even can feel uh, hurt, unseen, unappreciated, um, not given a platform, and it, and, it, and, it, and it hurts to know that the amount of hurt that end is at their feeling it at, as if it's coming from us, but it's like we don't want to enable the fact that your identity is, is twisted in with your spiritual gifting. It would be unloving, unloving, of us to release you when it's twisted into your identity. So again, just just come and be known, be connected, be family, to be interdependent. Who knows your sin? Who knows your stuff? Who enjoys you? Who knows your need? What do you do when you have need? Who do you call? Okay, start coming to some of the worship team catch stuff. If they're not able to do life on life, which is what the church should be, then let's not do church jobs until we know how to do the church, which is family. So just be family. And when that's happening, okay, let's start. And by then, it should be that the twist of my spiritual gift and my identity is undone. If anything, there's so much healing to our identity issues, but in particular, enabled by churches, which is really sad. Performance-oriented people. <laughs> Performance-oriented people are a goldmine for a lot of pastors because they have a big, lots of goals to hit, big big vision to fulfill, and so they need lots of minions to get their jobs done. The problem is these people are deeply wounded, deeply broken. Their identity is not in crisis in what they do, and they flock around, and they get all these jobs, and then what happens? Eventually, they burn out. Yep, they get resent, they get offended with the church, they leave completely. But it's okay, because we've got another new round of people come in, and I'll use and abuse them. And I'm not saying, hear me out. <laughs> I'm saying this is in ignorance, okay? I'm not saying people, like leaders, look at that and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to abuse some people. But that is what it is, ultimately. And so for us, we like, when we see it, you can smell it a mile away. Once you see it, you know it. And it's like, I'm not going to abuse you. I know, you're, you're amazing. You're great. You're so good at that. And oh, you're going to be so, oh, you're so gifted. But I'm not going to abuse you because you don't know who you are. And when you do, man, freedom, serve as much as you want. But we, we're not, so we go without in order for you to be healed. I do more because someone needs to be healed. Yeah. So we have a small worship team and they've got to play more often. We don't get to have drums every week and all that because we care about people's hearts more than we care about how good our band sounds. Yeah. You know, it's so, so that's the cost that goes on um, in a community. But that's what parents do, you see. 
Um, I know for me, my kids don't serve me. I'm the dad. I'm the leader. I'm the head of the household. Uh, the, the last time I checked, I do the bottom wiping. You know, I do the tidying up. And yeah, like that's, that's what a leader does. And you want, if you're aspiring, if you are a leader and you're aspiring to be a leader, you are the servant of everyone. You are, you are the one that everyone, that's, you know, you're the foundation. You're the, and, I'm, and, I'm, and it's a place of honor because that's the way the kingdom works. It's that upside down kingdom. It's like, wow, you are the greatest servant. And that's the thing for me. I'm like, I'm going to max out in serving and not to, you know, be a martyr in some kind of way. But like we want to lower, it's like <laughs> we want to set uh, Set that example that people go, actually, I, I don't think I want the cost of being that. You know, we've glorified it. And yet it's, the, it's like being a parent is really tough. It is such a blessing. It's like you would never trade in your children, you know, for less than a certain amount. Like it's <laughs> be realistic. Um, no. But you wouldn't. It's like, it's like, oh, man, parenting is so hard. It's like, oh, but, but I love it. But, but, oh, it's so tough. But, that, but that's that reality. But see, in, in, a, in a parenting culture, it's like then you've got the parents. Now, as you grow and mature, a parent's role is to raise up parents, not children. So we don't keep people as infants. But as they raise up, then that responsibility gets shared. And that's where we're finding ourselves, even as our community has grown. It's like we've got so many amazing parents, like spiritual parents, young and old, but that are coming up. And it's like responsibility gets released and people carry stuff. And it's such a blessing. But that, that took years of just letting people grow. People coming in, just wounded by the church and finding a place of, of solace and rest to get healed and restored. And it's like, hey, guess what? Sorry, we're not going to abuse you. We're not going to control you. And I'm sorry that that's going to be really hard for you because you want to be abused and you want to be controlled. But we're not going to do that. Um, but we're just going to let you get healed. So uh, it's been fun. I'm good. Any thoughts? You got it. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, question, what makes, you, what makes a season profit? Can you put a time frame on it? Oh, no, um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, your season, how do I explain? With profits, you go through a training by the Holy Spirit, and you can't get away from time helping you, but you've got to pass those tests. And they're, to really be a leader, and how many would say that you're a prophet, but you're called to nations? Just raise your hand. It's okay to admit it. Yeah, like you're a prophet to nations. Okay, so, so if you don't have the capacity in the heart to lead nations, then you obviously will not do that well. And so it requires, like, there, <laughs> there is a test of heart that comes to your world that doesn't come to other people's world. And it is, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a grueling test. It's kind of like, am I going to love well? Am I going to forgive well? And we've all failed it. You know, we've all failed it, especially with prophets because you're so strong in your personality and you're so justice-oriented and you want them to die and, you know, and, and we find all sorts of constructive ways to not do that. That's why I run a lot. And so, um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only, like, half joking. Like, I have to find creative ways to not kill people. So, and that's because, you know, and, and especially, you know, I have had, you know, just the honor of just partnering with a lot of different large, well-known people, and I see their their feet of clay, and they see mine, and 
you know, we hurt each other, and, you know, and to, to be able to still serve Jesus after all of that and still be what he's called you to do when your heart has been sliced in two and nobody cares and that's what you feel. And so, um, and, and to be able to pass those tests because it'll always be there. But the whole thing is, how can I lead ungodly nations to, to God if I don't have that love developed in me? And I think that's really what he's aiming for is to actually create his love in you and give you all sorts of situations where um, these are, this is impossible to love here. And so... That's been my thing. And so that's where the seasoning happenings in those conflicts, those grueling conflicts. That's my, my take on it. Amen. Mm. You get seasoned in the seasons. Um, how do you teach or share the prophetic community with children? You, just, you teach them just like the adults. Yeah, it's no, for our community. It's normal. We have children's prophetic team, and um, uh, we just we te- everybody is everybody gets to know the Holy Spirit and gets to hear Him and begins to communicate for Him. We had um, when we're working with the kids to prophesy. We just recently started um, allowing them to to work with the adults during some of our prophetic ministries. It's really cute. They're so accurate. It's really it's amazing because their hearts are pure, so they can see. Yeah, sometimes when your kids have no filter, it's really bad. But when it's prophetic, it's really good because then they don't, yeah. Yeah, just to remember, children don't have a baby Holy Spirit, you know. So there's only, they have the same one. So go for it. Yeah, uh, my wife could share a lot more about this because she's done a lot more study. We've just started homeschooling our kids. Um, but the particular philosophy that we decided to go with, it's called the Charlotte Mason kind of philosophy of teaching. But uh, one of the those philosophies, so Christian um, kind of perspective is that yeah you don't don't dumb things down for kids um, so you don't you know don't make everything bright colors and things like treat them like they're actually really really smart and they're really intuitive and really insightful and you so you know treat them like adults in the way that you have that expectation of what they can give out and how, what they can operate in in those in those sorts of ways and so um, yeah I, I think for me I'm still on a on a journey of of learning that with our own kids. Um, but we loved uh, when we were in Turlock and they had the Holy Spirit Kids Holy Spirit Conference and uh, and that's really what they do. So it's like, first night, oh, what'd you learn? Oh, we learned um, how to um, heal the sick. I was like, awesome. And then next, oh yeah, we learned how to prophesy and we learned how to, you know, do all this sort of stuff. And then my son Noah got baptized in the Spirit and was praying in tongues and he, he was so happy. And But it's like, yeah, you just, just yeah, just same stuff. Jesus, you know, working with the children. He had a real heart for that. We have, um, I think, how many churches do we have in the elementary schools now? Three or four? We have four churches in the elementary schools, the public schools. Same thing. We teach them all of that, but the, the kids aren't church, you know, and they have visions of, oh, it's amazing. They have visions of angels. They, they see into the spirit realm, and these are kids who are not church, and we just teach them like we teach everybody else, you know, that God will speak to you, and he'll open the eyes of your heart, and, and you'll have the experience. It so does something to them because they have, you know, a lot of hell going on at home, and to, to be able to interact that way, we, I love that we're able to do that. Next question. What age group? Everybody learns the prophetic in our church. Everybody. <laughs> we all prophesy. We all pray. So. Yeah. I watch Rachel teaching that to Tobias now. He's ten and a half months, so... 
when it's bedtime every single night for 20 minutes, before you take him to bed, they go to the the big TV. <laughs> it's the only time he sees a screen. And they watch Bethel worship, and she just has him facing him. And they, and she, they sing, and they talk about it. And he knows, even now, you say to him, praise Jesus. But it, she's explaining that sort of language and using the terminology with him as if it's normal. You know, I had him in my arms here, and we had the pre-service prayer two, two weeks ago. And it's the most still I think he's been in that pre-service time because he was just you know, just observing and watching, so the most exposure and using those words with them and normalizing it. Um, our, uh, I think it was last Sunday, our whole service, the intent of our service got shifted because a couple of the nights before, a nine-year-old in our community had this radical encounter with the Holy Spirit and, yeah, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, just praying on his bed and, and then, yeah, had this vision and came and shared it and that's kind of what, so, yeah, we didn't preach, we just... We're led by that. Um, yeah, so um, that's the way it should be. Uh, it says, uh, if there is time, would you be able to share what the plans, ministries, visions the Holy Spirit has given the leadership for the church? I don't know. For the church? Yeah, I'd, well, true. I'm not quite in like global church leadership <laughs> role yet. My my whole thing is um, I've been bridging the seers uh, back to the church. That has been and and helping everybody that is gifted with the gift of discerning the spirits and helping them to to recognize they're not crazy. And then really starting to work hard to get an acceptance going for them and some sort of strategy where they have a place where they can process. <laughs> And so um, I've just been working on these things for a long time, but and languaging all of that because, um, you know, how do you explain your own self when you have no ability to say, I'm having these weird experiences and I don't even know how to describe them to you. Um, so I feel like I'm just kind of in the beginning stages, but that's what I feel I'm doing for the church at large right now. And I, um, I'm just, I feel so um, overwhelmed many times hearing how many people uh, who are no longer unsettled and, and who they are and how God speaks to them and that they now have their confidence and they're able to step more into what God would have them in the spiritual gifts. So that's what I'm doing. And what are we doing? What are you doing? I'm just, you brought me in to do that very thing while I'm here, so I'm just putting my contribution in here. Um, our plan is is one word, <laughs> and we're going to listen. So if anyone had to ask what we're doing next year, we don't know. And five years' time, we don't know. We're not um, we're not not planning, but if across the last just over eight years of our church, if we were to know what would happen, we never could say five years ago we would have known this is where we are now but we're not building a business or an empire we're we're building hearts and we do know that a call in our church is to reformation to the bride um yes evangelism yes all of that but we just know the reformation for other churches um but we our goal is to listen so to listen and to talk so even monthly, we, we don't even have an advance what we're going to teach on on our program or anything because it's almost by the week 
that were like, what is he doing? Where are you, where is he going? We do a lot of, what are you saying? Where are you going? That's all the time. It's got to be, it's got to be that you're out of control. But that doesn't mean reckless and um, not stewarding our church, but it's like we're going where he's going. And that's, that's our five years plan. And we don't know. We just know that we're going to make ourselves ready. We're going to ready hearts. We're going to become good stewards of self and health and finances and the things we're talking about. We've just gotten a new big property. We're moving in a couple of months to a big property in Belzarvis. And we're not planning all the time. What are we doing? We're going, okay, how are we stewarding our private lives? And we've just... The, the very month we get the keys to this place, we decide let's do a month of fasting and go low and listen. The first thing we do when we get direction is, or something is just, is listening. So, um, yeah, so even last year, um, some specifics of what we feel we're going in the, in the short, we sort of know short-term goals. Last year, we've there was just another big, series of events that happened that showed so there'll be this transformation center and now we've got this property with massive multiple buildings spaces so transformation center so we know that and then we realized 18 months prior to that there was a word that we would have a transformation center and it'll start in 18 months time and that was 18 months earlier than when we got this and so we just know this have this transformation center but we, even then we can't just put human minds on of what this is so it's like well, what is a kingdom transformation center? So we're in discussions at the moment, knowing we're about to have one going, we don't know what it is. So we're talking, because really, if we had to go with what it has been, it's fivefold separate, and it's a pastoral thing. It's where the healing ministry is, and it's just all the heart stuff. And Rachel reminded us, but kingdom is together, like, isn't spirit-led things part of transformation? And if we try and have the healing ministry is without the prophetic, like you've got to be spirit-led when you're ministering. So they're actually together. So it's like, well, then what is this transformation center? Doesn't that also cover the intercession, the prophetic? So we're like, yeah, so we don't know. So that's where we're at the moment is we don't know even what we're doing, except we're going to steward our lives privately well. We're stewarding our relationships well. We're staying highly connected in every area, not a crack between us. We're loving our people and the most exciting part of, of an apostolic church is when you don't have a vision and then need the people to serve it true wow true apostatizing of the church true leading <laughs> is when brad when we as an apostolic people see well, what's the dream in your heart and we raise that up so that is what a church should be. It isn't a group of people with no identity, no dreams, no vision to serve whatever the leadership's vision is. It's we don't we know next year will look like whatever the corporate dreams are on the individual hearts inside this church. Like what we have at the moment is because people arrived a year ago and the dreams that are in them and the call on their life have come to life and that's why we've got what we got. If it's only because everyone's running and who they are that this place is even working as it is. We didn't have all the, these beautiful people. Beautiful people come, then we, then, we, then we don't have whatever's on them. So a church, if you're apostolic, it should be, I'm going to help draw out what's in you. So in five years' time, we'll have whatever the dreams are in the hearts of whoever's with us at that time. And it'll look like whoever the Lord gave us for that time. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think of us. You know, we are um, 
we're pilgrims on a journey um, with the Father. And, and uh, even, I mean, we, we talk about this move that we're making, like, not on the agenda. This building was not on the agenda. Like, we were, we were meeting at a primary school, and we were like, no, we're a missional people. And, we're not. and then God's like, what about this? I'm like, well, okay, if that's what you want, Lord. But So it's kind of like, okay, now there's the, incon- like, we're moving to a place that's going to be a blessing, but a massive inconvenience. But it's undeniably God. More work. Is it like there's a lot of management? Yeah. 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 It's, sh- it's shifting. It's, it's, it's a massive stewardship amount that, that we'll take on board. And we're, and we're up for the task because God will provide and, and can continue to do that. But it wasn't on the, it wasn't in our five year plan to do that. It's like, no, no, so we don't, I mean, we don't have a youth ministry here. So we don't just want to do youth ministry because that's what churches do. It's like, well, no, if when the Lord opens up that door or maybe he brings someone along who's just got a real heart to develop that, then, yeah, we'll, we'll release and we'll bless and we'll invest and do those sorts of things. But one thing on my heart is as, a, as someone to help the stewardship of our communities, that we don't do things that we don't have the money for, that we don't have the people resource for. Yeah, unless God's like, I'll provide, then we, then we go and we do it in trust. But it's like we're not going to just go, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. Let's do that. And then, then we'll just milk the people, you know, in their time and energy and money to get, you know, this vision fulfilled. Um, there's a grace flow in the kingdom that God provides. It doesn't mean everything's easy, but it's doable, it's manageable, and you feel the grace of God upon something. And it's like, this is really hard, but I love it. Um, and so, yeah, to, to be um, released. So I, I feel like we know where we're going because God's released enough prophetic vision for us. Like we know where we're going. We don't necessarily know what we're doing. Um, doing. It's like we know what we're doing. It's like, yeah. But we are. Like everything that comes out, it's like we look back and go, oh, that's what you were developing, Lord. So even the things that we've shared, it's like we didn't, we didn't set out eight years ago going, it's going to do this and then we're going to do this. It's like we just yield. God takes us, we turn, that's what you did, cool, I'll write that down, um, and, then, and then the next kind of part of the journey, and it's really, it's, it's, um, it can be unsettling to be in that place, but then there's like, there's no better place to be in. Um, but. Just to connect it in, even with um, Jen being here in this conference, we had um, had Ryan Lestrange here, we'd had a real breakthrough in our church, just, we just felt even uh, influence, we knew we were going to a a higher level and part of that was just calling us into deeper intercession which was something the worship team was pursuing but we didn't even have language for that it was we could just see that it was in our veins and it was coming out from intimacy comes this desire to cry out what he's crying out it's it's like you want to sing what he's singing now it doesn't really like it just changes everything's about his heart and when you get to know his heart you want to pray the prayer he's praying you want to you want to pray the power prayer so that so all of it was coming from this place and it was i think it was like this is the amazing thing about media it was like ryan lestrange had posted something on facebook and something else and i saw this book and i was like oh that looks cool so i clicked it and i was like intercessors handbook all of ryan says it's okay so i downloaded it to my kindle and i read it and just like jen said i felt normal i was like oh that's what that's that oh I'm not weird. Like, oh, I mean, they've never made me feel like I'm a weirdo, but you just do. You feel, is that normal? Is that spiritual? Uh, am I crazy? Like, there's lots of those senses that you're trying to figure out, and there's things you shut down. You just don't want them to operate because it's too confusing. So it just gave permission to be brave, even. But, um, and I was like, oh, that's great. And then, like, us tiny people, I was like, oh, man, I feel like we 
need to be intercessors, not just the worship team. Like, if it's never just the worship team. If we're all worshipers, then we're all intercessors, and that's where we're going. So um, we should just invite Jen. And then, like, giggled, because Jen, paradox. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So um so it was like Brad was like oh yeah you know like great idea like like let's go to let's go to Africa and sing songs like it was in the same category he was not dishonoring me but he was like yeah cool cool and and I thought no nah, no nah, I'm the worst I can get is a no right so uh, emailed and and uh, okay we're just gonna pray about it I'm like oh they replied my email <laughs> and then and then her, her PA at the time Elena writes back and says Jen says yes. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> how do we get, how do we do this? Like, what do we do? Someone, Jen, is coming to Paradox, you know? So it was a bit of a, like, guys, I've created a problem. <laughs> and that's why you're here, Jen. <laughs> because it was, it was this awareness of, okay, we know where we need to go. How do we do that? And so how do we quit? How do we do this? And I mean, this book is helping me. So, and I, oh, I'm pregnant. Let's get Jen. <laughs> you know, it, it was, it's literally like we see it and then we, we don't know how to do it. And so we dream and we follow what the Spirit's doing. And it's like that. So it's very bizarre, some of the stuff. And we love you. <laughs> Mama Jen, we do. <laughs> And that's one of those things on a season and you come to those points and God's like, cool, I'm going to send someone and they're going to break something open. So when Ryan Lestrange came and he really carries that breaker anointing and when I dropped him off at the airport coming back and God said to me, you need to take on a regional mandate. And I was like, okay, Lord. And literally the week after that, people from Mandras started, new people rocked up. And like we, we would go like months without visitors and because we're not like promoting ourselves. We didn't even have, we've never had a sign on the building, but they're there, there they are. Standing against the wall. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. We need to change the address. But, um, but you know what I mean? And then, like, people start coming. And then, and then more. And then the next week, more visitors and more visitors. And within, I think, about two months, out, the church doubled in size. We didn't do anything different. But God did something. He broke something open and shifted something, you know. And the same, you know, Jen coming... Uh, last year then it's like god just brings people in and then it, and things get birthed and we're like yes lord and we just we're just doing that journey but you can't yeah you can't kind of plan that but but you can steward it and that's that's a hugely important thing so we steward what god he gives us a baby and we look after it the best that we can and he gives us a resource and we look after it the best that we can and he you know as he as he as he pours out we we care for the things of god because he's the one doing it we're not we're not jumping through hoops for God. God's like, no, no, I'm building my church. I'm doing a work. You want to come with? Yes, Lord. We'll help. We'll carry your bag for you, God. Like, we'll, we'll you know, we'll clean up after you. Like, we'll, like, you know, we, we get to go with God. But there's that different intention. Like, we think we know what God wants to do. Well, he just wants more people and a, and a bigger building and, you know, more ministries or something like that. Like, we just have this kind of plan laid out in, in the kind of modern church. We think we've kind of got it. Yeah, because that church, they've got thousands of people. They must have think they've got it. So let's just do that here. Yeah, they may. I'm not saying they don't. But I'm saying, you know, we just kind of get this pattern because that's what success looks like. And, well, I want to be successful because my identity is tied into my ministry. So I need to do those things. And um, my tongue's in my cheek. Um, but, so we go, but it's like, no, how about we just be that people that just wait to see what God's doing? 
and then we come in behind him and we go, yeah, and then, oh, where are you going now? God, oh, awesome, we'll, we'll come over there. And that to me, that's what Jesus did. He saw, he didn't, he didn't do what the father told him to do. He did what he saw the father doing. The father initiated, Jesus followed along behind. I love you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, you hold a set of keys that are unusual, and I've told them this, and, you know, I call it your secret sauce. Every church <laughs> has what is their secret sauce, and what is attractive to, and, and, you know, what really resonates with the heart cry of the community, so I, th- I believe that, that you guys have tapped into that that you have tapped into a heart cry, a heart need, which is, you know, your connecting thing. And what I think is really funny is they don't do things very intentionally. And so <laughs> and I'm like pointing it out. I'm like, this is beautiful, but it was all kind of intuitive. Um, and so, you know, so I applaud your intuition <laughs> and that you've actually, you know, I, and again, that whole um, commitment to seeking the Holy Spirit, which is always True. There's, there's a lot of tension in the body of Christ um, over methodology. There really is. And there's always going to be that fight of what's right for this group and what's right for that group. Okay. So, you know, I'm listening to them and I'm like, they've, they've dialed into some, some things. And maybe you're from another structure. And maybe it's, it might be a little grating because you're from another structure. But I think everybody just needs to listen to one another, celebrate um, what's working, learn from each other. And, you know, because everybody has different edges. And so this is a very unusual edge. And I, I enjoy, um, I'm enjoying the journey that the Lord has allowed me to have with them because I'm like, this is spectacular. This is amazing. I'm like having these crazy experiences because they hold, they definitely hold a set of keys. And so we want to, we want to pull from that and we want to grab hold of it. Um, but you're in different communities, some of you, and there's gonna, you're gonna have, you're gonna get a different set of key for that heart cry. You see what I'm saying? And so I, I applaud just kind of being in this place and being able to observe and experience and take a journey with all of you. And I love you guys. I love you guys. So I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Amen. That is something I definitely want to say. There's, there are things that that I believe are contained in the ecclesia, the church that God released into the earth. And they are the prescriptive elements of the ecclesia. Um, But then there are descriptive elements that are common to a particular community in a particular area. So there's things that's like, there's elements of of the ecclesia, of the church, of the body of Christ that is like, well, they they should be there. Like if you're saying, oh, no, no, we don't have Holy Spirit here. I'm like, "I'm, I'm pretty sure you need the Holy Spirit to be the body of Christ, like you just need it, you know, there's, there's those things which are like, in my heart, they're non-negotiables, and I'm sure there's some on that list that we could argue over, but there's those elements, but then for us, it's like, well, is everyone's plan to follow what we did? I'm like, no, because we're on a journey with the Father, and He's doing a particular work for this region, for this city, maybe for this nation, whatever, yeah, we, we have an assignment that we're on, in the same way that every family Every biological family, like they're going to do things slightly different because they're in a different culture 
or they, they have a different size of family. There might be a, you know, a single parent versus a you know, family with 10 kids. It's like everything's going to be different, a different suburb, different nation, all of that sort of stuff. But they're going to carry the same elements of what family looks like. You know, connection, communication, love, support, um, provision, and all of those sorts of things. So getting those things in, but then recognizing that, yeah, every single community is on a journey with God. But it's not the thing of like, well, we do this music and you do that music, or we do this, we do it this way and you do it that way. We do evangel- I'm, not, I'm not talking about those sorts of methodologies. Like, I couldn't care less. Like, you know, what the reason why we do these songs is because we like them, um, but because they communicate what we feel like the heart, the heart of the Father is. But then again, seasonally, those things change. But we're not trying to find the right, this is sometimes we're trying to find the right model of church. It's like, if we just get the model right, yeah, we'll be successful. It's like, you're looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, get the heart right, and then those things will naturally flow out of that. You know, you build, you build a structure around what the Lord is doing to support that work. But then again, when the Lord moves on, you need to dismantle that structure and shift it to build in the next place. So we, we don't hold tightly to things. We don't have what we call, we don't have sacred cows here. It's like we try something, if it's not working, we slit its throat, let it die, bleed out. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Took that to an extreme. My metaphor went too far. But you know what I mean? Like it's like we're not, we're not holding tightly to stuff. It's like, well, that's what we've always done. Well, the good thing about being eight years old is like there's not a whole lot that you've always done. So, um, but you know what I mean? Because it's like, but God's over there. Why would I want to camp out here when he's moved on? You know, so we, we follow the cloud, we follow the fire, and, um, and, and make camp wherever he's at. So gather around the presence. Amen. Awesome. Any, any other points you want to make? Yeah. yeah we've, got, well, we've got a couple of minutes. Any more? We can wrap it up there. We've had enough. It's all good. Awesome.